Sunday, March the 27th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Hebrews, as we said last time, was written to remind us that Jesus is the supreme saviour and he calls us to be faithful to him in the light of that supremacy. And this morning we're going to get into the text, so I hope you've got it open in front of you. The first uh, few verses of Hebrews chapter 1, being able to look at it, will, I think, really help as we get underway with things today. We've got seven truths to get us started. Seven truths. Truth number one is that God speaks. God speaks. And just pause for a moment because it rolls off our tongue sometimes that that God speaks. But think about the miracle of that, that the God of the universe speaks. Or think of it the other way around. Imagine if the universe was silent. Imagine walking into a cave and you know when you go, hello, hello, hello. And nothing comes back. Imagine that every time we speak, nothing comes back because the universe is silent. There are few things more depressing than that. Really hard to be an atheist and joy-filled, I think. The emptiness of the universe. That our voice echoes around and trails off in some kind of meaningless echo. That's not true. There is somebody there. God speaks and God speaks to people like us. He spoke, it says, to our ancestors, people like you and me, people that carry our genes, people that have our similarities. If you've done any work with your family tree, you know how kind of freaky it is to go back several generations and think, gosh, I can see I've got his nose or something else. And you realize that there is a, there is a, a lineage, a, an ancestry, a people like us have been before that carry our genes, our DNA, and God speaks to them because God speaks to people like us, whatever your kind is. And he speaks through the prophets. When did we stop honoring the prophets? Because God speaks through the prophets. Maybe because we've marginalized the prophets, we've lost touch with this God who speaks into our ordinary everyday lives. We've lost touch with the fact that God is speaking to us all uh, the time. Uh, Yesterday, I know a few of you here were at the Accessible Prophecy Art Workshop. Such beauty, such presence as God spoke through their creativity. You can find references to that on social media and so on. God speaks through the prophets and God speaks many times. Many times. I I don't know whether you think back over your life and you think, yes, I, I remember that moment when God spoke. 
But God speaks, the Bible says, many times. He, he's verbose. He's got things to say. As I've grown as a Christian, I've understood more and more that God is speaking all the time. The only limiting factor on hearing his voice every day, I would dare to say hearing his voice every moment, is the limitation that I put on my ability to hear him speak. As we tune in, we realize, just like as we tune the frequency of a radio, suddenly you realize there's been a program at that frequency the whole time. But we can miss it. We can miss it because we've got some fixed ideas about when and how God speaks. For most of us, our our minds are already fixed about the way God speaks. We think that God should speak now in the next 20 minutes. And that in itself would be an absolute miracle. Because the sermon is the way that God speaks. But how incredibly limiting. See this juxtaposition here in these verses. That we have this creator God whose majesty fills the heavens whose creative genius has no limits. And we constrain, we can find the way that he speaks and put it in a little box. And we can conclude that in this kind of monologue, God speaks. But tomorrow morning on my commute or at the office or on my walk or at school or college or wherever it might be, God's voice falls silent. Until the next time we are in a moment like this. But that's not true, is it? Because God speaks many times and in, what does it say? God speaks in, in what? What does it say? All kinds of ways. God speaks all kinds of ways. You may remember uh, just before lockdown when Kerry was speaking about the the different ways that God speaks, a brilliantly helpful uh, reflection on helping us tune in to the different ways God speaks, recognizing that he speaks personally and individually to each of us. I'll put a link to that on the uh, on social media this, this afternoon if you want to go back to that, because God speaks in all kinds of ways. You'd expect him to, wouldn't you, given his creative Genius. A blazing bush breathes, I am, to Moses. A billowing cloud signals the way through the wilderness. A valley of bones clatters to life as a reminder that God is on the move again. A thundering wind weaves all voices into one and a barren grave whispers, Mary, Mary, do not fear. Over and over and over in the scriptures, we get this insight that God speaks in all kinds of different ways, in visions and poetry and dreams and revelations beyond our wildest imaginings. Thanks to the reformers, We've inherited this really strong and robust sense that God speaks through the scriptures and he does. That's the basics. That's the basis. That's the foundation. That's the the fence around all that we live and move and have our being. But we've forgotten that the scriptures say that God is speaking all of the time through his creation. 
films and poetry and weaving his purpose in all kinds of beautiful creativity. The powerful thing in the book of Isaiah is that God used people that didn't even know him and love him to speak his message and to be caught up in his purpose and his plan. God is so great that he draws people into his plan that don't even know him yet or understand it. God speaks. These last mornings have been utterly beautiful, haven't they? And God speaks often to me in those early mornings that affects the day ahead. A couple of weeks ago in our uh, community, uh, Kerry shared a few poems for us to reflect on in God's presence. And the, the, the way that the creativity of those poems opened up parts of uh, uh, our lives and what God wanted to say into those lives in, in perhaps ways we never would have accessed in perhaps our more didactic, informative way of understanding uh, things. A few weeks ago, we watched a film, I forget its name now, of, about uh, Serena and Venus Williams' father. What was the name of that film? King Richard. King Richard. Thank you very much, King Richard. And it's, it's not a Christian film. But, but packed with insight about relationships and fatherhood and children growing up and, uh, and, uh, uh, and vision and determination and calling. And you just come away thinking, God, you've been touching my heart in, in this way. God is speaking in all kinds of ways. And as if all that wasn't amazing enough. <laughs> the life-transforming, Spirit-lifting, joy-giving truth of God speaking becomes then even further eclipsed by what the writer then says. That God has now spoken through his son. Go back to the cave a minute. Hello? Hello? And then you get a voice back. Hello? How reassuring would that be to get the voice back? You with me? To know that someone was there. To know that you were not alone. And that's what we have. That's what Hebrews has just been talking about. As we, as we shout hello in the universe, the, the voice of God comes back in all these beautiful ways for us to hear. But then imagine the qualitative difference when instead of just hearing a disembodied voice, because I bet my bottom dollar that as that voice got louder coming towards you in the cave, hello, 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 and, and you realize someone's coming towards you. How are you feeling right now? You're a little nervous because you've no idea who this voice belongs to. And then suddenly and wonderfully, Jesus comes into the world. And you realize that this voice comes from God himself, whose love and beauty and power and majesty are all that our hearts have ever longed for. And we've gone from the voice in the cave to another dimension, a person, real, tangible, alive, touchable, knowable. As uh, Job reflected, my eyes had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. It's a qualitatively different relationship. Zoom is brilliant. You can have brilliant relationships on Zoom for discipling, intentionality, accountability, friendship, and so on. But you can't be married through Zoom or have a family through Zoom 
or share the deeper things of life ultimately through Zoom. There is a qualitative difference. So as God speaks through all these different ways, as we are awakened in our spirits that God is speaking all of the time and we're receiving his word into our lives and letting it bring us alive, it leads us to the reality that God is knowable. He's here. He's present, touchable. We can know him and be known by him. And finally, this son is supreme. This Jesus made the universe. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Jesus is outside matter. He's outside of stuff and he's outside of thought and he's outside of time and he's outside of history. How bigger and better do you want your Jesus to be? There is nothing that he doesn't transcend. There is nothing that he isn't above and beyond. Whatever, whatever's challenging us right now, there's nothing that Jesus isn't bigger and beyond and for us in. And can you see how these opening verses draw us towards verse 3? They draw us to this invitation that's coming in verse 3. We are invited to engage. We are invited to come within the impact and the influence of this Jesus who rules and reigns supreme. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. We're being invited. Can you hear it in the words? We're being invited to encounter Jesus. It's the gospel invitation, isn't it? The disciples. What did the disciples say to one another? Hey, I've seen a man. Come and see. What did uh, the, the woman at the well go back to the village? And she said, there's a man that's, that's taught me or told me everything about my life. Come and see. And, uh, and Hebrews here reflecting that same thing. Come and see. Come and encounter Jesus. Jesus, the radiance of God, the brightness, the brilliance. Come and encounter the representation of God in Jesus. What's he like and what he does to see how his works, his words and his ways all make sense. The radiance and the representation. You see, the radiance of God that we are invited to encounter touches our hearts. When we encounter Jesus, the radiance of God is meant to touch our hearts. It's meant to go deep within us. What did Jesus say about his radiance using a different metaphor about water? Streams of living water will flow where? Where will they flow? They will flow deep within you. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And my, 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 uh, my, my water, my life-giving spirit will flow deep within you. The radiance of Jesus is meant to go deep within us. The best analogy I think that I've got is the sun. How cool. No, not how cool. It's a mix of metaphors. How great has the sun been this last week? Who says the sun can't shine? When we look towards the sun, 
feel its warmth, get caught up in its brightness, or when I look towards the sun, feel its warmth and get caught up in its brightness, I feel alive. I feel connected. I feel like I'm part of something bigger than myself. I find my place in the the bigger story as the sun, S-U-N, shines on me. I find so much beauty and delight in that. It touches my heart. It touches my heart. And as I feel the sun's warmth on my face, I'm, I'm not thinking about what's going on in my mind about the sun. When the, the sun's radiance is touching my heart, I'm not thinking, hmm, that's a big ball of gas and plasma giving off its heat by nuclear fusion. I'm not thinking, do you know what? That sun is 99.9% the mass of the whole entire solar system. When I feel the warmth, the radiance of the sun and it's touching my heart, I don't give the fact that it's traveling at 220 kilometers per second and will take 225 to 250 million years to complete one orbit around the Milky Way. What's happening is that my heart, you with me, my heart's being touched. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It's why... The sun and holidays are kind of synonymous for me. Imagine how much more with Jesus when we bask in his brilliance. I don't need to figure it all out. I don't need to understand it all. I just need to be caught up in the wonder, the miracle of the whole thing. I can't measure his glory or analyze it even if I wanted to. All I can do is receive it, be caught up in it and value it and discover in the warmth of his rays that I have my place in a bigger story. That I am part of this glorious creation that God has made and I can breathe deep and I can stand tall because his radiance shines on me. Made in his image, the apple of his eye. And what does it do? It touches my heart. Who's with me? Anyone know what I'm talking about? In contrast... Or in compliment, more accurately, when we encounter Jesus as the representation of God, when we look at Jesus and we see this is what God is like, it begins to do something with my mind. It speaks to my mind. Because when I look at Jesus as the representation of God, I begin to understand what God is like. I begin to understand God's ways and God's works and God's wonders. I begin to understand how God uh, relates to, uh, looking at the life of Jesus, uh, how God um, how God had created us to, to be. I begin to listen to what Jesus says, understanding that that's what God is saying. I begin to see how Jesus spends his time, understanding that's how we should spend our time. I see how he handles friends and enemies and deals with money and grief and suffering and disappointment and loss. How he creates joy and community. Can you see how when I see Jesus as the representation of God, it speaks to my mind. 
If the radiance of God touches our hearts, then the representation of God touches our minds. And I need that. Who's ever worn a bracelet? What would Jesus do? WWJD. A few of you. Well done. Good, good Christian people. Good Christian. But, but you can't, you can't work out what Jesus would do without engaging your mind. What would Jesus do with his enemies? Well, I don't know. I need to look and think. And what, I, how would Jesus spend his time? And what would Jesus do? And of course, the, the sweet spot, and it probably didn't work on the marketing bracelet, is what would Jesus do if he were you? Because what Jesus did was wear sandals and a single robe. And I haven't seen many of you doing that in church lately. Because what would Jesus do if he were, if he were you? W-W-J-D-I-H-W-Y. Hasn't quite got the same ring, has it? But that's what we're after. That's what we're after. What would Jesus do if he was you? And so I need to be instructed in my mind to understand how to live that way. I need to understand how to live the way that Jesus would live, to follow him. I need to know what obedience looks like. If I don't know what obedience looks like, I don't really stand much chance of achieving it. I need to know. You still with me? And so there are these two words, radiance and representation, that we're given here in Hebrews that, that remind us of two other words that we are so familiar with that run right the way through the whole of the Bible. Covenant. The radiance of Jesus, the encounter with his radiance, reminds me that I belong to him, I know him, I can be embraced by him, my life is hidden with him, I'm secure with him, I'm bathed in his glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's covenant. That's what God gives us in relationship. And of course, the other word, kingdom. Not only do I have this sense of being in him, but I leave that place of being in him to go out for him. We follow him, represent him, live for him, obey him, covenant and kingdom, which is, of course, uh, a, a sort of summary of some other two words, relationship and responsibility. We need all of those. Can you see how those two things need to work together for our Christian faith to become alive? We need head and we need heart. And Jesus knew that, of course, not surprisingly, because he knows everything. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your inner being. You need to encounter Jesus in your inner being, in your inner world. And you need to love Jesus with all your mind and uh, strength, or with all your strength and with all your mind. You need to uh, engage your mind as you, as you love him. And Job makes the same point way back. Who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind? We need intuition, don't we? It's a godly gift. We need to nurture it for sure. We need to give it voice. And we need the instruction of the mind for intuition to find its place. Neither one or the other, but a godly dance. Who gives intuition to the heart? God does. Who gives instruction to the mind? God God does. Head and heart. Paul makes the same prayer for the church in Ephesus, which was a letter that would go around all the early churches. He said, I'm praying this, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Can you see the importance of that? If you just have your the eyes of your heart, but not 
That if you just use the eyes of your heart, unenlightened, if you don't have heart and mind, you will not know fully the hope to which God has called you. So important that we need both in order for us to grow head and heart. If our hearts nor our heads are engaged, are encountering Jesus, then we are disengaged. Then we are disengaged. And you can turn up and be disengaged. You can turn up but not show up. You can be disengaged. And maybe there's a challenge for some of us right there this morning. That I realise in my journey with God, I've become disengaged. It's not a question of whether it's my head or my heart. I'm just, I'm, I've checked out. I've checked out. It's one of the reasons why so many, statistically, so many people left church almost instantly when COVID came. Uh, we suffered uh, far less, actually, in terms of the national average. Not that it's a competition. And the reason that, that, that people checked out so quickly is they were already disengaged. Neither their head nor their hearts were engaged. They were turning up for sure. But they weren't showing up. And so when that moment came of I could do something different, they just checked out. They didn't make the decision because of COVID. The decision had been made a long time ago. Maybe, maybe subtly, imperceptibly, we slowly disengaged, disengaged. We got hurt or disillusioned or something and we slowly got disengaged. But that's, that's the story. More likely, I guess, for many of us in our Western culture, caught up in our kind of church traditions with its emphasis on, uh, on, on the things that we emphasize around, uh, think about it, around sermons, around quiet time, increasing Bible knowledge, around Sunday school, clues in the name, isn't it really? What we think Sunday school should do, should instruct more information uh, about God, that, that we find ourselves in a situation where maybe our, our heads are leading without our hearts. And maybe that's something that we can recognize or, or, or reflect on. My, my own observation about church culture over the last X number, oh, over my lifetime, is that we've been predominantly, predominantly in the head and not the heart. And movements that have tried to recover something of the heart, the charismatic movement in particular, for one, one example, we've been really nervous and suspicious of because we've been so invested in, in, in head. And what is, what is being led by our heads without our hearts? Where, where does that take us? It takes us to all kinds of places that are not like Jesus. When we engage our heads and not our hearts, we get a legalism, we get a dry religion, we get a, we get an increase in striving. This is what we ought to do. This is what we should do. And we push on doing what we ought to do and should do to, in the hope that it will deal with or satisfy some of the shame and the guilt that we feel. But of course it doesn't. So we have to push on even more. It can make us critical. 
because we understand what's right in our heads. And in order to protect our hearts, because we know that there's a disconnect between our head and our heart because we've been leading with our head, we judge other people to protect ourselves. Have you ever noticed that? That people are over the top towards you about something they themselves do. You see that again and again and again. People are over the top about something in your life that's true. Jesus talked about that, didn't he? A speck and a plank and stuff. This is as old as the hill. What are we doing? We're, we're, we're being critical and judging other people to protect ourselves because we know that there's a disconnect between our heads and our hearts. We know we're doing the right thing, but our hearts don't feel it. And, and honestly, to do the right thing when your heart doesn't feel it is character and sacrifice, but you cannot do that forever without burning out. And that's why people check out, because it becomes too hard to keep your head engaged without your, without your heart. And a lack of authenticity just eats away at our core. And we judge others to push it away. Can you see that head without heart leads to something very different from Jesus? Can anyone see that head without heart leads to something very different from Jesus? But also, there's leading with our hearts without our heads being engaged. Heart without head, feelings without truth, can take us to very shaky ground. I don't think there'll be anyone in this room that doesn't understand what I'm about to say in terms of the way feeling without truth takes us to very shaky ground. There have been things in my life, and I'm not unique, that have made me feel on the outside, that have made me feel not good enough, that have made me feel I've got nothing to offer. Are those feelings true? No. But if I'm leading with my feelings, I will conclude that I'm on the outside, that I don't belong, that there isn't a place for me. And, and if I, I if I lead with that feeling in a human sphere, it's <clears throat> just a, a tiny, tiny step away from going, well, I'm on the outside with God and I, I don't fit in with his plans and his purposes. And there's probably no one in this room that doesn't understand a version of that. And so leading just with our feelings without our hearts can take us to a place that's far away. From what God has for us. You see in those moments. With those feelings. I need to know the truth. The radiance of Jesus afresh. And the truth that goes. Actually I am made in God's image. And God died on the cross. Because he loved me. Because I belong. Because I'm in. Because I'm worth it. Not to uh, steal a well known brand slogan. Because we're all worth it. Jesus did that for me. And and that truth really matters. Can you see? If I allow my feelings to run rampant in my life, I'm ruined, honestly. If I get up tomorrow and I feel the stuff that experiences have led me to feel, just because life is broken and dysfunctional, then I am going to end up in another place that's far from Jesus. Feelings can lie, can't they? There's no, perhaps, clearer or stronger uh, metaphor or image in the Bible about feelings lying. The, the uh, 
The Israelites have been in slavery for hundreds of years. Harsh slavery in Egypt. God performs 10 incredible miracles and they escape. Pharaoh follows them. They get to the Red Sea. God opens up the Red Sea before them and they walk across to dry land and they've been rescued again. This has been going on for generations in their history and they have seen God do the most incredible act. It's a couple of weeks. It's a couple of weeks in the desert and they go, do you know what? I think we should go back to Egypt. We had cucumbers there. I mean, who does that for a cucumber? They're disgusting. They're just wet and whimsical and watery and blah. But there they are in the light of all that God has done, all that truth. Why? Because they woke up one day and they felt scared. And they felt disorientated. And they felt like, I don't know where we're going. And and they could see that the wilderness was a bit of a frightening place. And their feelings kicked in. And they said, let's go back to Egypt. What did they need? They needed the truth. That God had rescued them from slavery. That Egypt was a harsh taskmaster. That Egypt had broken the back of their spirits. And that they would never be free to be the people of God in Egypt. They needed the truth. They needed their head in the midst of their heart. And if you're led by your feelings and your intuition, which as I said a few moments ago is a, is a beautiful thing, and that's what you lean into, you will be competent in many things, but it will become much harder for you to explain that to others. And if you want to pass something on, which is what discipleship is all about, we need to learn to pass things on to others. Kerry and I are learning to sail. And it's no surprise to any of you that know us that our approach to learning to sail or anything else that matter is completely different. Kerry learns through intuition. She leans into how it feels. It's a great gift. And so as she sails, she goes, well, I just feel it. I just know what I need to do next. I, I can just sense it just like a horse riding, another mystery to me, but there it is. And, and, and then I'm like sailing along and I'm thinking, if I do that, then the wind is there and then that will happen. If I pull that in like that, then that will happen. The boat will go, by which time I've smashed into several things. Because I can't get my head in the game fast enough. So I need to push in, I need to allow my head to go to my heart, so it becomes that instruction then becomes instinctive or intuitive, and I'll be able to sail. When someone says to Kerry, why did that work? She has to go from the intuition to the instruction in order to explain that to somebody else. And because discipleship is about passing stuff on, we cannot just go, just works. It just works. Without knowing how it works. One of the, one of the biggest stumbling blocks in the Christian faith being a movement in our day has been charismatic leaders who are very gifted and they just go, well, it just works. When I do this, it works. But they haven't been able to pass it on because they're leaning too much into their own giftedness and intuition and not building the instruction around it. It it doesn't matter where you start. You have to push in to the other. We need head and heart for the life that God has given us. And that's what leads to all the good stuff. Do I get a cheer? All the good stuff. 
The Christian faith is a delight, not a duty. It's God's fullness invading our minds and our heads and our hearts. It's about being connected in ways that sometimes in our brokenness we can only dream of. It's about growth and maturity and healing and, uh, and so on. Head and heart. It's what Heather was talking about at the church meeting a week or so ago in talking about uh, uh, wholehearted, the new brand for our prayer ministry journey. And I guess we liken it to this, the, the head and the heart together. Imagine a boat. Imagine a boat that's free in the sea to feel the wind and to know the rush of the spirit, to experience the delight of the rocking of the waves or the warmth of the sun, but at the same time is with an appropriate tether anchored firmly to a spot. It can't drift away. Or disappear off into the shipping channel. Or wake up one morning and find that it's the other side of the world. It's safe and it's held. And so because it's safe and it's held, it's free to feel, to embrace, to be alive, to be at peace, to be at one with itself. This is the invitation with which the book of Hebrews starts. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So which are you? Which are you? I've already perhaps invited you to think about whether you're in the disengaged quadrant. I've been in the disengaged quadrant. We've all spent time in that space. I've checked out. I've got hurt. I've got disappointed. I've got disillusioned. I've got tired. I've got overwhelmed. I've just got busy. I've just got distracted and I find myself disengaged, head and heart. Maybe you're more head than heart. That's been the base note, the stronger note of our culture. It's why for us as a church, the value of head and heart is so important. It's why we're pushing into more worship. It's why we're pushing into more response time. Because we have to move head to heart. We have to engage our hearts. We joke about the joy of the Lord being the joy of the Lord. And, and, and the trouble with, uh, with jokes, the reason they're funny is that they carry some truth. If it doesn't carry any truth, it's not funny. And we've laughed at that joke for too long. We need to push in to our hearts. One of the great moves that's, <clears throat> that's helping people with that, if you know anything of the, the work of John Mark Comer and, uh, and so on, he's done a series of, I'll, again, I'll put the link of that on. Um, he, he, uh, a lot of work following on from Dallas Willard and other writers that you might have read about that are, that are helping us recapture contemplative prayer, which is not about how much can I ask God for or how much can I say, but it's about in the moment embracing Jesus. Embracing Jesus. And if you sit or you walk and you long to embrace Jesus, to know the radiance of God's glory, going deep into your heart and soul in one second you will get distracted. And in two seconds you will get distracted. And after five seconds you will have thought about 10 or 15 things because allowing God to touch our hearts is a new discipline. Think about it this way. Every time you get distracted, it's another opportunity for you to come back to Jesus. You can come back to Jesus a thousand times in five minutes. Wouldn't that be a cool way to spend five minutes? We have to reframe God engaging our hearts. Invite his radiance. Or maybe you're more head. Oh, sorry. Maybe you're more heart and you need to engage your head more. 
Maybe you're just a, a, a bit adrift because there's all these feelings working and they're not all bad feelings or, uh, and some of them are right and true, but, 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 but you, you lost your moorings a little bit in, in that heart space. And God's calling you back to understand some things, to think about his rhythm. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Maybe you're full of the life, but you're losing uh, track on the way or, or, or the truth. Think about the life of Jesus and, and how you emulate it this week, how you allow your feelings to interact with truth. So what could you do? What could you do if you're too much head? Find some moments this week to viscerally connect with God. And, and I need to walk to do that. Walking helps me do that. I need to listen to worship music to do that. I need to find other spaces in order to deliberately push in to opening up my heart to the radiance of Jesus. But maybe you're more heart and you need to press again into a a spiritual discipline. This week, I will take a, a verse from the scriptures and I will allow its instruction. I will allow its its truth to take root around my feelings. Or maybe this week, if you're, if you're more feelings and, uh, and you're sensing God to engage something in your head, try explaining something to someone else. Because the only way to take a feeling and explain it to someone else is to take it up through your head. And that's discipleship. Why have you got the joy of the Lord? Don't know, just have. You have to take it through the mind route in order to help someone else have the joy of the Lord. If you've got the joy of the Lord, for heaven's sake, help someone else find it this week. So you've got to get it from your heart to your head. Read something. Have a go at sharing something. So hey, what's God saying to you and what you're going to do about it? Let's be quiet for a moment or two. In order to, in order to access what God's saying to me, I have to write something down. Otherwise, it just stays in my head as a, a wistful idea and disappears. You'll see me a lot in church uh, writing into my phone. And it looks rude. It looks like I'm not paying attention. Because all the time, I'm right, trying to capture things that I sense God is saying. So don't be afraid to get your phone out, to write, to take hold of something. Answer this simple question. What has caught your attention this morning? Let's be quiet for some moments as the band comes while you... Just allow that question to settle on your heart. What's caught your attention this morning? So easy now to stay in head, isn't it? I've learned some interesting things. Oh, that was a nice idea. That was a good metaphor. That was, that was an interesting verse that he used. What does it mean to engage our hearts, to allow the radiance of Jesus to touch us? Or maybe I'm full of Jesus today. And I can't quite figure it out and I need to extrovert that out to get that into my mind. Head and heart is the place where we sing and come alive. The band are going are to sing. You can stand, you can sit. These are our moments, but more specifically, they're your moments as we have the opportunity to take what we've heard and begin to let it touch our heads and our hearts.